As iron sharpens iron, darling, so it is one woman sharpen another. Welcome to the Woman Ride Podcast, hosted by Anainan Otterwell and Cynthia Lyon, building strong women of color, the cultivation of the mindset. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us yet again. Um, we have exciting news and we glad to announce that our podcast has been nominated for the DSTV Contents Creators Awards under the Podcast of the Year section. This is a big win for us, and we are so grateful to all our supporters and all our listeners. Um, we hope that everyone will just continue supporting us and listening to our podcast and will continue sharing more content as much as we can. Otherwise, on today's episode, I'm joined by co-host, Sintle Lyon, and we also have a guest. Her name is Chofazo Malobi. You guys will know more about her throughout the episode, and Sinclair will introduce today's topic. So please stay tuned. Hey, everybody. Thank you guys for tuning in. Oh, we are so excited to bring a new episode that is full of fire, a lot of knowledge. It is going to be so informative, and honestly, I can't wait to dive deep into this. Anyway, today what we want to talk about basically is the different kinds of marriage um, that is recognized in South Africa, what it entails, all the different things um, around that, especially also with regards to Lobola, how that can affect you, um, your assets, your estates, basically all those things. So I think you definitely want to tune in for this one and listen to the whole thing because I'm quite sure that our guest has a lot to basically lay on the table. So I'm really excited for that. Thank you so much, Lirato and Sinclé. First of all, I'd like to say congratulations to you guys on your nomination. Woo-woo! Thank well done. you. Well done. Um, by way of introduction, Lirato, as you've already mentioned, my name is Chokofa Jomalupe. I hold an LLB degree, which I obtained cum laude from Viti University. I am am an admitted attorney and soon to be admitted attorney and notary public because I'm pending my admission as a notary public as well. So that's me. That's my, those are my qualifications and my profession. So you've already shared your background around your your edu- like you, you've already said your educational background but what really inspired you to go through that route is it something that you've always wanted to do from a young age or you just grew the interest when you like in metric or something so I, I can say it's something that I've always wanted to do from a young age so what had happened in my life or early on in my life is when I was still in primary school, there was this program by the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development, um, which literally gave us an opportunity to visit the Constitutional Court, right, in in, in, in Johannesburg. So my visit there and the tour there, right, what they were basically teaching us, I mean, at that level of, of, of development was the Bill of Rights to say this is the hub you know, the Constitutional Court is the highest court in the land, and this is the hub um, of, 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 of where all the constitutional law implementation takes place. So that inspired me, and um, the Chief Justice at the time, which is like the highest judge, the main judge, 
was a man by the name of Pius Langa, Chief Justice Pius Langa. We were told mm-hmm. that he was from Bushbuck Ridge, which is where I come from. So the moment I heard that, I was like, oh my goodness, I would love to be a Chief Justice as well from Bushbuck Ridge, the second one who sits in this position, right, at the highest court of the land. So that's sort of what um, sparked my interest in law and what made me want to study law. However, as I grew, you know, got through high school, I then realized, um, I think in grade 10, I then realized that I actually enjoy history. I was in the science stream, but I was also doing history. And I saw that I'm actually... um, my strength lies in critical analysis, critical thinking. I enjoy theory more than the numericals, or I enjoyed theory more than the numericals. So I loved words and, and, and just critical thinking and reasoning. And that's why when I then had to decide what I wanted to study, I literally wanted to either study law or um, psychology. Psychology, because of my personality, uh, I'm an empath. You know, I am yeah. a person, I love people, I'm very soft. So those are the two um, uh, courses which I, I put down in all my applications. And yeah, I just got admitted for both. But I think law was more appealing to me. And, and I, I decided to go study law at VIT. If I want to do psychology, I can always do it later on in life. So that's what sparked yeah. my interest. Yeah, and cut the long story short that's why i'm here <laughs> okay so may i ask um yeah. okay you've explained um what sparked your interest in law so now since you got to do your lb and you got to be an admitted attorney do you think yeah i won't say do you have any regrets but how can i structure this question um yeah. basically is your rea- reality now that you're actually doing this the yes. same as what you had hoped it would be or is it now more challenging or is it less challenging or is it basically yeah you basically got what you had hoped for so i would say the right word for it is fulfilling um for me this is this is this is what i wanted this is what i expected and to a certain extent, it actually became more because at that point in time, right, when I decided I want to do law, I was actually interested in human rights law. I didn't know that there was a huge area of called corporate law where I could become a specialist and specialize in, you know, um, employment law as an example or tax or corporate and commercial and so forth. Now... I am actually a specialist in employment law at a very big firm, right, at a corporate um, law firm. So the journey altogether has become even more fulfilling. You know, it's not what I had planned it would be or, or, or it's, not, it's not what I had expected it to be. You know, as a human rights lawyer, you, you're supposed to be in some um, human rights organization working under the state and an end. But considering where I am, it has this this degree or, or, or this career path has opened up even bigger opportunities for me. And looking at the type of organizations which I'm currently serving at and and and. So no regrets whatsoever. It's actually more fulfilling. <laughs> so actually on today's topic, since already explained that it's aimed at teaching our listeners about different types of marriages. So yeah. can you please just ex- 
explain to us the different types of marriages that are uh, recognized by the South African law? Okay. So before we delve into the types of marriages, I just need to mention, right, and specify that there's a difference between marriage and a matrimonial property regime. And I think the question or the topic is more aimed at what the matrimonial property regime of which we have three types. But with marriage, according to our law, right, um, there's different kinds of marriages, which I, I, I want to just quickly explain before we tap into the various matrimonial property regimes. So we all know what marriage is really um, um, from a legal perspective, it's a legally recognized lifelong voluntary union between a man and a woman or even between two people of the same sex, right? So it's an yeah. institution in which an interpersonal relationship exists. It's usually intimate and sexual. We know that. Um, and it's acknowledged through the exclusion of other person. We know the common... Um, phrase the two shall become one so marriage in south africa is regulated by various legislation we've got the marriage act and the recognition of customary marriages act and the civil union act right so with yeah. civil marriages those are recognized by the civil unions act um, the civil marriages act this is a monogamous or heterosexual um, marriage that is solemnized in terms of that particular act, right? We've got a customary marriage that is in terms of the recognition of customary marriages act. That is where both monogamous and polygamous customary marriages are concluded in terms of our customs and usages that are traditionally observed amongst the African people of South Africa. So in customary marriages where you find is table as an example, right? Yeah. This is the only means by which you can conclude what a polygamous marriage. So that distinction is quite important um, for us to understand, right? That you can yeah. either conclude your marriage in terms of the Marriage Act or the Recognition of Customary Marriages Act or the Civil Unions Act. Now, moving on to the different matrimonial property regimes, right? So these are they, they essentially regulate how the property of the two individuals who sit in a marriage is going to be regulated. So the first one is in community of property. The second one is out of community of property with accrual. And then the third one is out of community of property without accrual. Let's get married. Yeah, yeah. So the first one, um, matrimonial property regime being in community of property and of profit and loss is the default system in South Africa, meaning that if you um, say we are getting married, but you don't specify which matrimonial regime you want to apply to your marriage, then your marriage is automatically um, assumed to be in community of property, right? Here, two estates estates, sorry, are joined together and each party has a right of disposal over the assets of the joint estate. This basically is in Shitsonga Barik Shamina Shawena. So yeah. both, <laughs> estates, 
your assets and your liabilities that you've accrued before and after the marriage will form part of that joint estate. Um, take note, I said liabilities as well. So all mm-hmm. your loans that you've taken out before getting into the marriage and after become part of the joint estate. So my loan will become my husband's loan, for example. So mm-hmm. it, the result of, 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 of this kind of matrimonial property regime is that both parties are jointly responsible for any debt that is incurred by the, either, the other party. Right. So it means that if Nesfas, for example, wants um, the wife to pay back the loan and the wife cannot, the husband is also jointly liable and the husband will be expected to pay. Right. So if your spouse dies um, and they leave behind a mountain of debt, you become liable as they they. Spouse, the joint estate will become liable, meaning you may have to pay out of pocket as well. And then if your spouse becomes insolvent, um, then you also become liable. You have to, to, to chip in basically and cover their debt. Um, consent, this is very important. When you're married in community of property, consent is required from the other party either alienate or to encumber assets, right? So where you want to sell some of the property, um, the specific instances whereby that consent is required and the consent must be in written form. Um, and basically, in, in, in this kind of a marital property regime, there's financial equality in the end, right? If the marriage ends, it means that we go 50-50, whatever I brought in, whatever you brought in, you had 50-50. So we leave on an equal footing financially. However, there's no juristic equality in the sense that if my partner, my husband rather, um, is involved in anything illegal, or they owe anything, then I'm dragged into it as well. So in the end of um, the marriage or at the conclusion of the marriage, either by death or um, divorce, then the spouses will share 50-50. Let's get married. Now, the second one is out of community of property with accrual. So here, it's out of community of property, right? Meaning that we are not um, combining our assets. Our estates are not being joined. However, we enter into an antenatal contract before the marriage, and we state that at the end of the marriage, we are going to share the profits equally. What are those profits? It's accrual. So the accrual that is made by the parties during the marriage, anything that I build and that I gain after the um, we've entered into the marriage, so from the, the first date of our marriage, anything that I accrue, then at the end of the marriage, we need to share it together. This is because the legislation really um, considered the fact that once two people get married, we support each other. Um, in mm-hmm. order to build, in order to make money, to make wealth and so forth. I mean, a common example is we know husbands will go out there and work and sit in boardrooms and all of that. And wives will be at home supporting, washing, you know, cooking and all of that. And if, 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 yeah. 
<laughs> you know, housewives. And raising the kids. Yeah. Taking care of the kids, you know. You are supporting that man, although it's not direct, but the comfort that you're providing for him is helping him to prosper and, you know, grow financially. So before we had this kind of regime where it's out of community of property with a cruel, when we only had out of community of property, it would mean that I would literally commit my life as a woman to this man, help him to grow, and once he divorces me, he leaves with all the wealth and I'm left with nothing. So this mm-hmm. ensures that everything that is made um, after conclusion of the marriage, we understand it's out of community of property, but everything that is made, the accrual thereof, has to be shared. So, so may I ask? Yes, yes. Does this only include the profits that were accrued or does this also include the liabilities? So this only includes the profits, right? Which is the gains that were made. Because remember, this is still marriage out of community of property. Liabilities, Mm. assets are not merged together. Practically how this happens is that before we get married, we will sit down and enter into an antinatal contract, right? In that antinatal contract, we will mention this is what I currently have. You list all of your properties. This is what I have in my name, um, and it will not form part of the joint estate. Even your liabilities, if you so wish to say this, these are my liabilities, they're not part of the joint estate. So everything else that um, the profits that are made, basically, they are cruel thereafter is what needs to be calculated the purpose of this really is just to ensure that at the end there is what financial equality mm-hmm. oh that makes yeah. sense yeah yeah so what um what distinguishes right um but what a distinguishing factor in this kind of a, a regime is that upon dissolution or is that assets which you've inherited or damages that you receive, for example, maybe rough damages, road accident fund claims and donations should not form part of their accrual. So if during the marriage my father dies and he leaves a million for me, it shouldn't be included in the accrual because that's my inheritance, as an example. So at the end of the marriage, uh, the net estate values are determined separately. And then the one who has more money, the larger estate, must then share half of the difference to the smaller estate. So if the husband is um, at the end of the marriage, is if his net worth is maybe two million and my net worth is only one million, it means that the difference um, between our estates, meaning the one million, right? If he has two million, there's a difference of one million between us because I only have one million. So the one million needs to be divided in half so that we all end up um, and an equal footing. So that 1 million will be divided in half. I'll have 1.5. He'll also have 1.5. And we leave um, we, 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 we leave on that basis, financially equal. This one is a good one because during the marriage, it means that um, you can't tie me. You can't bind me in anything that you're doing as my husband. And I also can't bind you. So juristically, whatever cases you have, whatever trouble you fall into, it's your trouble. It's not my trouble or it's not our trouble compared to marriage in community of property. Let's get married. So moving on to the last one, basically, which is 
out of community of property without accrual. Here we are saying um, no community of profit and loss is present, so it's excluded. Accrual is specifically excluded as well. It means that whatever, however I come in is however I will leave. It doesn't matter how much someone makes. It doesn't matter how we grow. Um, this is recommended really for people who have already made it in life. They are substantial mm-hmm. estates or incomes, right? And they don't want, they really don't want to join anything. It's just about their love. And once we're done, you just move out, right? So it's the point blank clear out of community of property without accrual. Here, there's juristic equality, but there's no financial equality because, um, yeah, it, once you divorce, it's each to their own. You come in however you are you leave however you were. So those are the three matrimonial property regimes. So with okay, the last so... one, sorry. Yeah, you can go. <laughs> okay. with, the, with the last one without accrual, let's say for instance, I am married to my husband and we signed the antinatural contract yeah, without accrual. Yes. But then he decides that I should stay at home and take after the kid, take care of the kids. Can't I claim uh, spousal spousal money afterwards or spousal support after we are divorced? So that would have to be a different application, right? That you would um, have to, or, 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 or it would be an argument, let me put it that way, that you would include in your divorce papers in your divorce application mm-hmm. to say that um, although we are married out of community of property with no accrual, I believe I'm entitled to spousal maintenance um, on the following basis. So you'd have to give grounds and then the court will have to determine whether um, you are reasonably entitled to spousal maintenance. So you can um, claim such within the, uh, the, the divorce proceedings However, it will be up to the magistrate to decide or the judge to decide whether you are actually entitled to spousal maintenance or not. Let's get married. So how I look at it, um, firstly, is, and, and I think people should stop doing this, right? We should stop looking at this as uh, an indication as to whether you love your, your, your husband to be or not right or your wife to be or not matrimonial property regimes are not about love this is about practical implications on your finances this is about the legal implications on your legal personality right because once we may get married in community of property we become one our estate becomes one if someone is liable we're both liable those are the implications that you need to look at. That's how you need to look at this. It's not about whether I love you or I don't. If you want financial equality, but you don't want juristic equality, meaning you don't want to be tied with someone legally, you don't want to be held liable for anyone's debt, for anyone's anything, you don't want to give anyone consent or seek consent before you sell any of your stuff, then you get married out of community of property. That's it, right? So if you want financial equality and juristic equality, then you get married in community of property. Meaning that whatever happens, we die together. If we die, we die. So if you want juristic equality, 
but you don't want financial equality at all, then you get married out of community property with the cruel. So what's very important really is to look at it from that sense. At the end of the marriage, how do I want to get out? Do I want to get out with something or not? And how does how is this going to affect me? And I always say, um, give an example to say, should you land in trouble? or any of you land in trouble. For me, it would be great for us to be married out of community of property with accrual because I know that if my partner is in trouble, then I'm not liable. It means that I can at least keep the ship, sh- the ship sailing, sorry, right? Yeah. So if, 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 if they want to come after our properties, um, they can only touch what is his. They can't touch what is mine. So, if, for example, the house is in my name, then at least we still have a roof over our head. Then at the end, everything that we made together, then we get to share. So for me, in community, out, oh, sorry, out of community, <laughs> out of community of property with accrual is the way to go. Let's get married. Yeah, yeah. Want financial equality and juristic equality, meaning that at the, at the end you want 50 50, and even during the marriage you are ready to fall in trouble or get in debt with this person, then you get married in community of property. Lastly, if you want juristic equality but no financial equality, then you get married out of community property with no accrual, meaning that from a juristic um, perspective, you're not going to be touched. He's not going to be touched for anything that's affecting you, right? So you are both separate on a separate footing. You are both equal in that sense. And at the end, though, there will be financial inequality because you take whatever you came in with and he keeps whatever he came in with and whatever he may have built and whatever you may have built. So at the end, we remain financially unequal. It's everyone for himself. Oh, so I actually remember the question I wanted to ask. You told you mentioned um earlier on that by default, um, the law, if you don't mention what kind of marriage you're getting into, then by default it will be in community of property. So yes. let's say you're going to get married, um, you're gonna sign at the courts of law. Basically, what happens is you have to specify that okay, we're here to get married. I mean, out of community of prophecy, with or without a crew, we have to actually say it. Okay, so this is where the interesting part comes in, right? A lot of our people literally get so excited. It's lily, lily. It's, uh, you know, ululations. We are getting married. And what do they do? They just continue with their arrangements and get married and go. And they say, we're go- we are signing There'll be a marriage officer there that will sign on the wedding day and they forget that they need to actually specify. So how Mm. you specify the matrimonial property regime going to apply to the marriage is before you even start with everything, you need to enter into an antinuptial agreement, right? Mm. So that's where you will specifically stipulate to say our marriage is going to be out of community of property, whether with or without accrual. If you don't enter into that agreement before the marriage, before the wedding, before the law wala even, then um, your marriage is automatically in community of property. <laughs> Wait, so 
Does this mean, let's say the Lobola proceedings have taken place and we got married traditionally, you know, the whole celebration, everything. Now we want to go and sign. Obviously, as you mentioned, automatically or by default, we're already in community of property. Now, when we go sign, are they going to allow us to now change or we basically now stuck in default? No, you are stuck in default. Because what happens is, especially with Lobola, maybe let's just um, touch on that, right? This is concluded in terms of the Customary Marriages Act. And that act, Recognition of Customary Marriages Act, that act provides that once the prospective spouses are both above the age of 18 and they have consented to be married to each other, under customary law, meaning that they've both consented to lobola, they want to lobola each other, and that the marriage was negotiated or that there were no lobola negotiations and there was a celebration in accordance with customary law. So if according to your customs, you maybe there's members or whatever, I don't um I'm not quite familiar with those practices, but if there's any form of celebration, any little form of celebration, then you are automatically married, meaning you are legally, legally married. If you want to end it, you'd have to divorce legally and formally. So this whole notion of no, it's just lobola actually doesn't exist, right? So the moment there's those three aspects which I mentioned, above 18 consent and there's negotiations and a celebration, you guys are legally married. So if you want to avoid the legal implications, meaning marriage in community, it means you must enter into this agreement before the lobola. Once you've entered, once you've lobolaed, you've entered into a customary marriage, it's in community of property. It means matrimonial property regime then you have to uh, formally apply to court to say we so your application your papers are going to say we got married um, customarily Lobola was paid on this day this is what happened celebrations took place however right now we would like to change our matrimonial property regime into one that is out of community of property and then the judge has to give an order of divorce to end your current customary marriage in community of property and automatically then your anti-nuptial contract. So it's a whole process. Meaning once you're in, once you pay the lobola and you celebrate, please, you are married in community of property with that person. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did <laughs> not know about it. <laughs> That's exactly I the case. I did not know about all of this. Me too, hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm actually then, glad this is crazy because now I thought you can have the lobola and then once you guys decide on maybe like your white wedding or your traditional, like the official celebration, then yeah. after that whole celebration, you guys can then go sign and then choose what which category you want to fall under. Like, no, no. Yeah. And this is where that distinction that I mentioned at the beginning comes into play, right? There's different acts. There's the Marriages Act mm-hmm. and there's the Recognition of Customary Marriages Act and the Civil Unions Act. People who go and sign, right, are getting married mm-hmm. under the Marriages Act. People who agree to lobola each other and negotiate and pay 
cash in kind, like the homo or whatever, are following mm. the customs that are prescribed in the recognition of customary marriages act. And that act already says from the moment we do those things, customarily we are married. Legally we are married. Mm. So you going to sign is just an additional step. Uh, they usually say they are doing it just to have proof of their marriage. But yeah. legally, if I had to argue whether a person who has been lobolad is married or not, I would still have the evidence, right? Um, compared yeah. to someone else who will bring a marriage certificate. A marriage certificate is just a, a matter of convenience, really. But from that point, you are married legally. Okay. Then may I ask what happens um, or these kind of people, where are they classified? Like those who um, there was no lobola, no... Um, they're not under also the marriage act where they actually signed, but hmm. they are living together like a married couple and have been living together for years. Does do they fall under the customary marriage because they're considered as well they they act as husband and wife? So do they fall under that act? <laughs> no. So those ones um are, are, are in a situation that we call or legally formally referred to as cohabitation, right? Yeah. They, they, it's an unmarried couple living together in a long-term relationship that resembles marriage. So it looks like a marriage. It's not regulated by law and it doesn't receive any protection. So it doesn't receive the same protection as a marriage. You can, mm-hmm. you can live together for as long as you want, um, but there's no marriage from a legal perspective. And I mean, to protect the rights of such people in a cohabitation, sometimes they can enter into what we call a cohabitation agreement, which is going to regulate the relationship during its existence and after it has come to an end. So you can enter into such an agreement, which can either be verbal, like we agree, ah, we are cohabiting, this is how our cohabitation is going to run, you will buy the food, I will buy petrol, I'll pay electricity, you'll do this and that. Um, can be done at any time during the relationship. But when the that whole situation ends, right, if there was no agreement at all and you can't prove that there was any agreement, then it's each to their own. You retain whatever you had, whatever you bought during the, the cohabitation, and you walk away just like that. If you want to have a claim to any of the properties or anything that you may have acquired during this um, arrangement, you have to prove where you acquired it, how you acquired it in order for you to get it back. So it means if you bought the house, you'd have to prove that you bought the house. If you bought the fridge, you must produce the slip to say, I bought the fridge, so it's mine, right? So here... It's recommended that such people keep proof of payments in the form of receipts and, in, and, and invoices. They can also go to court and try to prove that there was what we call a universal partnership, right? Mm-hmm. So partnership basically is you, you, are, you are just showing that um, our, the aim of our coming together was to make a profit that we both contributed to the partnership it operated for the benefit for the benefit of both parties and that the contract was legitimate. 
this is very difficult to prove, especially if we were just cohabiting, right? It's going to be very difficult to show that um, it was a universal partnership. So, and in the event of death, then you can't inherit anything unless that partner had specified will to say you can inherit. That cohabitation agreement can't be used um, at death and any term in that cohabitation agreement that deals with inheritance will be invalid. So that's what happens with people who just live together. You can enter into some form of an agreement that will regulate, but at the end, you have to prove what's yours. And in the event of death, you can't even inherit. You know what? I'm just realizing relationships are <laughs> <laughs> a lot of work. <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, no, they they definitely are. They they definitely are. So you need to always be on the lookout, right? Just yeah. just watch yourself as much as we're in love and an end. Look at the future, and look at some like look at the possibilities of what could happen in life. You know, is this person mm-hmm. financially um savvy? Like, can I trust that this person won't enter into won't take out loans that will require me to pay back you know before you even marry them in community of property can i trust that they won't get insolved become insolvent and now i must pay their debts but you know life is unpredictable so yeah yeah yeah, (laughs) that's quite a risky one yeah true let's get married okay i'm gonna ask you another question and i'm actually glad that there's a time where i joined your you were explaining this marriage thing i think it was a church thing yeah and then i asked the question of whether engagements are legally binding Mm -hmm. i'm glad that i actually got that whole explanation even before i got engaged so i want you to (laughs) (laughs) okay so engagement right um from a legal perspective, it's 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 an agreement to agree, right? So mm-hmm. when you engage me, you are saying we are agreeing, say yes to the fact that at a later date we are going to marry each other, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's essentially promising someone to say at a later date we will agree to marry each other, we will enter into a marriage. So it's not um, legally recognized because it's nothing more than that. It's an agreement that at a later date we're going to agree to marry. It's Mm. just the time to get to know each other better and to decide whether or not you're going to marry finally. I'll tell you an interesting case um, that that, um, took place uh, a few years ago in 2010. And it started at the high court and ended up in the Supreme Court of Appeal, right? So in this case, um, so it's a reported judgment, and that's why we still refer to it even today. So it's become a guiding principle in law, or it's become, um, it's judicial precedent. It's set uh, the law, right? Or it sets a legal principle that we ought to follow. So the, 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 the two individuals, right, a certain Mr. and a certain Miss got engaged 
And then they set their wedding date. They got engaged in 2005. And they said, you know what? In January 2006, we're getting married. That's our wedding date. So in December of 2005, uh, just a month before the wedding date, the mister sends an SMS and he says, you know what? I'm terminating this engagement. I don't want to continue with, with it, with the, the marriage. And then the miss then sues for breach of promise to marry. She says, well, you promised to marry me. Now you're breaching your promise to marry. Um, and that's where, this, <laughs> yeah, that's where the Supreme Court <laughs> decided, you know what? Breach of a promise to marry is not a ground to sue for any form of damages because what that was is just an agreement that we are going to agree to marry. And that's it. We can't enforce mm -hmm. it unless you've actually now agreed to marry. So that's the legal position with, with engagements. You can, you can end it. Um, so Lerato. <laughs> I still have a chance. <laughs> yeah, you still have a chance. You still have a chance. But yeah. Let's get married. Yeah, yeah. With customary marriage, the marriages, there's actually um, a special arrangement, right? According to the Recognition of Customary Marriages Act, if um, the husband wants to marry a second wife, the husband has to first dissolve his um, joint estate with the first wife, right? Um, it's going to be dissolved and then... Um, the first wife will get whatever she's entitled to and from second wife going forward the the, the husband will then have to state or, or, or the husband and the prospective second wife will have to state what kind of matrimonial property regime is going to regulate their marriage going forward and um, and how that is going to affect the previous spouses so with this one, it's not automatically um, in community of property from the moment the husband says, I want to add a second wife. Once he decides that, then he needs to apply to court and get the consent of his first wife. So the first wife will be joined in that application to say, we understand that husband now wants to add a second wife and then um, there are requirements, there are strict requirements to say in your papers, this is what you must state and you must specify how the previous um, wife's estate is going to be affected. So they, they, they dissolve um, the estate between the first wife and the husband so that the wife is protected, right? She gets what's hers mm. before a second person is added. So basically what you're saying is, Without the first wife's approval, then that man cannot take a second wife or a third. Yes. So what happens with those people who do lobola and the first wife did not approve of the lobola? So basically they do it behind that first wife's back. So it's yeah, still won't hold in the court of law because she never approved. Yes, that will not be a legal a legally entered into customary marriage because the act strictly requires that certain steps need to take place before you add a second wife. Oh, okay. Mm. I'm actually now seeing that I think in with Africans, there are so many loopholes 
because yeah. I think a lot of people don't know about this. Okay, there are people who obviously do know that legally they have to get the first wife's approval in order mm. for them to be married with the second or third or whatever. But then yeah. now a lot of people just doing things behind the first wife's back and then yeah. thinking, and those wives think, oh, when he passes away, I'm going to be able to claim. But then only now later they'll realize that, well, legally you guys are not married because the first wife never approved. And I think that's just basically where the loopholes are, where we are not educated about these things. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And and the first wife can actually um, defend herself. You know, if you come with a claim and you say, oh, you love all of me and whatnot. And the first officer, I never consented. And there's no marriage. There's a, there's a show that I watched. I don't know if in reality that's how it's actually happening. Mm. There's a husband who was married to his wife and then he had a side chick. Then he passed on. I suppose him and him and the wife were married in community of property. So when the husband passed on, it turned out that the side chick had... Uh, and also she was receiving like money every from 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 the from the husband so she went to claim was depending on 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 the husband for allowance and now the wife was supposed to be taking care of her and also the child that uh, she gave birth to afterwards is that what's really happening is it true um i can't give a straight it's true or it's not true or it can happen or it can't happen but I can confirm with you that where spousal maintenance um, or, or, or support, um, so the side chick can, well, I mean, it's a side chick, let's start there. So they're not married. I don't, they have no grounds <laughs> to claim any form of spousal maintenance. But there's a possibility that one could claim for um, maintenance of the child. Which is a whole different ball game, and 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 they can actually claim it from the estate of the deceased, and if it so happens that that estate was a, formed part of a joint estate between the deceased and the wife, then it means that the wife, um, is also held liable, right? Because her estate is enjoyed mm-hmm. with the deceased estate, so they can claim child maintenance. Yes. But in respect of the lady, I, I'm not too sure. I can't confirm, really. Imagine being the wife. Now you have to support a child from mm-hmm. outside that you don't even know about. Yeah. <laughs> now you can't even be mad at your husband because he's dead. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. He's not in community. Yeah. Wow, this was really informative. I learned quite a lot. And I think definitely before I decide to be like, I do, or before I decide to say, yes, you can send your uncles to come, I'm definitely going to do like my extensive research, be like, okay, to make sure we're both on the same page, we yeah. agree to the same thing, we get yeah. we get to sign what we want to do, because already you mentioned like the whole thing of if you Lobola first, automatically or default, you're yeah. now in property. So I don't want to find myself now stuck in things that I first of all I didn't even want to be stuck in. 
Like already, mm. I don't want to. I don't want to get married in communal property. So now imagine me having done it that way, only to now find out by default I'm in community property. I'd be so mad. Mad, mm, exactly. And I like that you're raising that point, right? Before you get married, yes, do your research. Another important point is seek legal advice. You know, yeah, seek yeah. legal advice. Get someone um to to draft an anti-natural contract for you. Help you with all of that. And and even with this show, I mean, it's great. It's very informative, and people are going to listen to this session, this podcast, and gain a bit of knowledge. But it's very important, and I need to put this out there that this does not constitute legal advice, right? So although I am giving you what the law requires and what it is, right, what the legal positions are, I may not be speaking directly to your situation. And there's yeah. always in law, we look at what we call the factual background or the factual circumstances. So there may be a nuance with your situation that they need a professional for you to consult and specify and, and state everything that's happening so that the right person can then tell you this is how you need to do it and this is what you need to follow. So it's very important. Just seek legal advice. And it's something that, and sorry to say this, but a lot of our brothers and sisters in the black community don't take into account we are mm. very reactive we are not proactive so we wait mm. until we are in trouble then we run to the lawyers yeah. whereas sometimes you just need to be proactive get legal advice find out okay this is my situation how do i handle it yeah mm. yeah no this this is very informative i learned a lot and Honestly, we are so grateful that you honored this invite. We needed to learn this because it's mm-hmm. something that we just fall into without even knowing. So thank you so much. Let's get married. Well, do you have any closing words that you would like to leave with our listeners? <laughs> um closing comments well i think i've already said it right let's stop being reactive and let's be proactive seek legal advice and do your research um but also most importantly uh, for me and in the context of this topic it's not about love please it's, it's not about whether you love each other that much or not it's about the legal implications it's about your property and how it's going to be regulated do you want to get married and then one gets in trouble and we lose everything that we've worked so hard for? Or would you rather get married out of community of property if one falters? I mean, it's life. Mistakes do happen. One falters, they get insolvent and they can only take away what is in their name and we yet left mm-hmm. with something. So please, it's not about love. Um, it's about the law. It's about the practical implications. Um, what will happen during the marriage? What will happen to our property during the marriage? And what will happen even at the end of the marriage, either by death or by divorce? That's how you should look at it. It doesn't determine whether you'll stay married for life.
would like to thank everyone that is continuously supporting us and we are so grateful for the positive feedback that we get from you guys so please feel free to send us a dm on instagram at women underscore right at women underscore right sharing your insights or comments about our episodes and also if you'd like to become a guest on one of our episodes tackling a topic of your choice that is in line with our vision and our mission please feel free to send us a dm as well thank you guys for tuning in and we can't wait to have you on our next one